This is the very first Country Music Matters podcast, and we got the uh, wonderful Chad Watson as our guest today. My name is Michael Monroe Goodman. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about uh, who I am in this podcast. Uh, so this is the um, first edition of the Country Music Matters podcast, which is meant to uh, educate uh, people on country music and get them in touch with... Um, you know, uh, country artists that are around uh, doing new stuff or some country artists that, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of history with it and whatnot. And mainly this uh, podcast is to entertain and be funny and uh, topical and also people learn some stuff about country music and maybe discover some artists or some music that they uh, didn't know and help them learn some uh, country music history or tidbits they might not have known about their favorite country artist or whoever the guest is. My name is Michael Monroe Goodman. Like I said, I grew up in southern Kentucky as a kid. And my dad was in bluegrass bands, played banjo. And uh, Bill Monroe ended up being uh, my namesake. And he blessed me with, with that name as my middle name. And uh, spent most of my childhood backstage at the Grand Ole Opry with Bill and all the other country stars. Uh, and just kind of was steeped around that from before I was born. Didn't realize I was getting an education that would later uh, predestine me to be cursed to a life of being a country music uh, singer-songwriter. It's a blessing or a curse. It's however a you calling. Want. It's a calling, however you want to look at it. And here today we got Mr. Uh, Chad Watson, who uh, you've been in, in California. How long have you been in California playing? Since the summer of 1984. 84. Yeah, I came Since out to record summer. with Charlie Rich's son. Yeah. Alan Rich. Alan Rich. Charlie Rich Jr., yeah, and it was just a week, but I still haven't gone back. It's been a long week. I love this town uh, yeah. for a workaholic like myself that really loves roots music. Yeah, you know they weren't calling it Americana during the Olympics, right? But it was definitely. I mean, I see your T-shirt, Eddie Rabbit. Yeah. How how cool! We used to do shows with Eddie Rabbit, Charlie yeah. Rich, Eddie Rabbit, Ray mm -hmm. Stevens. Uh, there was a handful of cats touring the South. But okay. that's how I got to L.A. was because of uh, Charlie Rich Jr. Jr. came to record. Yeah. And he said, since you're here for a week, why don't you uh, grab a Music Connection magazine and look at the basis wanted? I did, and uh, it it turned into uh, the Duwah Writers yeah, through a couple of friends. I love yeah. the Duwah Writers. They just celebrated their 40th anniversary out here in L.A. Plan, yeah. yeah, you ought to get them on the couch and ask Oh, I'm definitely going to get, oh, uh, definitely gonna get them in them here because they've number. been around. they got a lot of, yeah. uh, I know oh Ken and, uh, and Aaron yeah. and all those guys. And Now, how long were you with Duwah Writers? Three years. Three years, okay. Three years. And, uh, of course, they're a, they're an institution and there's a yeah. no, no subbing policy. You don't go, yeah. hey, I can't make Sunday. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so I just said, hey, I can't make this next mm -hmm. year. Uh, yeah. Janice Ian, a folk singer, master storyteller, uh, was putting a new band together. So that's how yeah. I met Janice. And then shortly after that, she moved back to Nashville. She loves country music. Yeah. She's come a long way from that bitter teenager. Really? Yeah. You know, of society's child. And it's no, that's Janice who? Ian. Ian, Ian. I, don't yeah. I don't know her. I don't know her. Folk singer that folk singer. Uh, moved to Nashville and the community really embraced her. Yeah. So we're still in touch. We're good pals. Uh, in fact, uh, she just had her birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Janice Ian. We adore you and your work. Give Nashville a hug for me, but California's keeping me busy with country music. Uh, actually, it's, it's kind of crazy how few stunning country singers there are out here. And not because you're having me on your show. But it was, I was so refreshed 
to hear this guy, Michael Monroe Goodman, a mm. friend of a friend, said, hey, call Chad. You know, you need a mm. bass player. And I've been turning every club I can and showcase onto your great singing. Thank you. Of course, I heard that Monroe, and I immediately thought of Bill Monroe, mm -hmm. so it was cool to find out that's your your uh, your godfather. Right. I met Bill. Uh, in fact, I did the Grand Old Opry a couple of times when I was with Ronnie Millsap, uh, all of 79. My, so you were with Millsap for all of 79? Yeah, 79. I went from uh, touring with gospel music, yeah. band, mostly the South and Canada, yeah. and said, you know, I'm going to just study music theory at Eastman School of Music and then go to Nashville and play with the first country star that will have me. Right. And it was Millsap. And because of Ronnie, I met Charlie Rich. He hired you sight unseen. Uh, you, you could say <laughs> that, but I had to go through an audition. He didn't ask if I could read music. Yeah. Uh, he just... Uh, I don't think he reads music either. Uh, he's got a great feel he's for it. He's got a good feel, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Not a Ronnie, good sight reader. God bless you, buddy. Thank yeah. you so much. I met Charlie, one of the musical loves mm. of my life because of you. Mm. And uh, that was an audition, but thanks to my dad, whose band I grew up playing in. Yeah. Dad always said things like, well, be loaded for bear, even if you're just hunting for squirrel. Right. So when I got the audition for Millsap in uh, 78, I, I went to a used record store. I just loved used record stores, as we do, yeah. still do, and bought all the Millsap I could find and charted out, you know, did a number chart on every song. So when uh, my appointment came to audition for Ronnie, he said, well, what do you want to play? And I said, well, I have about five albums of your stuff charted out. Just yeah. pick a song, and I think I've got it. Right. And he turned to his manager and said, is, is that true? Does he really have all those charts? <laughs> it was, yeah, it looks like he does. So he kept calling tunes, and we kept playing them, and uh, I got the gig. You got the gig. Yeah, because, uh, of course, I love how Ronnie mixed his country roots with his R&B, yeah. you know, coming out of the Smoky Mountains, and uh, loving Nashville and back in Elvis. He he is just an American treasure. He is. He's really, he's... Uh... He's, I, th I feel like Ronnie's very uh, in in this in this day and age right now. I mean, not so much back. In, I remember when I was young in the '80s, what everyone uh, you know. But it seemed like people have kind of forgotten about Ronnie now. Or I mean, that kind of goes true for all the classic country artists. Boy, that, yeah. As long as they're alive, as soon as they die, then everyone it's like, oh yeah, I adored them. Blah blah blah. It's like, but were you? Did you go any of their shows? Yeah, in their life, when they came you know? to town, did you go to the dinner theater and yeah. shake their hand and say thanks for blessing right. my life? I'll right. buy the double CD. Could you sign it? Yeah, it seems like every sadly, like with our culture now, as soon as someone dies or something, then everyone's like piggybacks on the momentum of, of that. You know, like with like with the you know like I love Tom Petty and I love Tom Petty for years. And it seems like, but when he died, it seemed like he became ten times bigger star than he was. Right before he died, and it's like, and I was like, where was all this love when he was when he was still here? You know, I was like, you know, but you see that a lot. Some people don't. You know, it's it's like with anything, you don't appreciate something until yeah. it's gone. There you are know. places out here in L.A. that yeah. really embrace uh, the early icons of country music. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, places yeah. that not that I'm here to promote those, but to say I love the community. Mm -hmm. You know, guys like uh, Eli Locke. Yeah. You, uh, Greg Erba, cats that can play the Tom Petty, yeah. but they also grew up playing not only Eddie Rabbit, but uh, Roy Acuff. Yeah. I just love it that someone will do Wabash Cannonball right. on a gig. Right. And uh, in fact, I got to take my wife to meet Charlie Leuven at Amoeba back when I he was still that. with us and he was yeah. promoting a new album of duets. Uh, folks, check out Charlie Leuven online. Uh, it's just one of the great 
writers of uh, bluegrass standards, Emmylou Harris, mm -hmm. cut so many of his tunes. Yeah. Of course, he and his brother, magnificent uh, oh, bluegrass duo. Amazing, amazing harmonies uh, between those. Two. Great gospel yeah. tunes. Oh yeah. my gosh! And they're yeah. fun. They were really spirited. Yeah. You know, and rootsy. So uh, that comes to mind. Places like Amoeba, while they're still having concerts, let's go. Yeah, let's, go. let's go see go Steve Earle two weeks ago. Was he there too? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He just released yeah. a new album of Guy Clark songs. Oh, of course, nice. a few years back, it. he did a Towns Van Zant album. So it. Steve was, you He's, know, that yeah. kid that came up through the ranks, you know, watching Guy Clark, at Towns, and uh, Rodney Crowell, and Rex Foster, those kind of cats. Yeah. So the music is out there. I just I appreciate your show encouraging people to go out, turn over a rock. If if you if you really like uh, Chris Stapleton's yeah. singing, uh, go back into the. I mean, he looks like David Allen Coe at age thirty-two. That before go the, get go get some David drugs. Allen Coe. Yeah, get some David yeah. Allen Coe. Well, that's the thing about like these new. There there are that's the thing, and that's kind of the purpose of this this podcast is to like uh, let no people know there's 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 stuff out there that they're not being told about. You know, I mean you. you Country radio has kind of abandoned country music. It's moved on to this bro country. It's moved on to this hip hop yeah. kind of thing, and that's that's fine. You know, to each his own. Like like what you like. You it's know, a that's phase they're going through. It's a phase, you know, and uh, you know, it's Nashville needs to make money, and that that's what they're going to do. And whatever people are going to, you know, jump on board for for that. There's always fads, but it's like, but I know there's a lot of people out there that either have felt like Nashville radio's deserted them. Uh, with with what they what they consider country and, and what they love to be, and then there's a lot of people, you know, young people, who just don't know, you know, obviously, and yeah. and but once they hear it, they're turned on to it, and they're, you know, I mean, it's hard it's hard pressed to find anyone of any age that doesn't love Johnny Cash, and so it's like, you you're not gonna tell me that, oh well, you know, 1956, I walked the line, that's outdated, no one cares about that anymore. It's like sure they do, you play it and people go nuts. You know, and a lot of it had to do with like the Walk the Line movie. It made it relevant sure. to a younger audience. But I think that's what it is: is is you get autobiography, you get biopics, yeah. or you get some kind of cultural event it happens, like like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like uh -huh. turned a lot of people on to early bluegrass and Alison Krauss and all those cats. And it's like these things happen that like shine a light on Dr. Something, Ralph Stanley, right? That might have been forgotten. And then you see these young, uh, you see like a young group of people, generation, like go, Ooh, what is this? And because, yeah. you know, good music. If you love Johnny time. Cash, uh -huh. check out Del Reeves. Check oh. out Little Jimmy Dickens. Yeah. I mean, these were aggressive songwriting pioneers. Right. Porter Wagner, you know, there, there was so much more to him than just his rhinestone suits. Right. I right. mean, he had an eye and an ear for the future of country. Right. You know, I mean, Dolly, he brought Dolly Parton brought to the Dolly game. Around. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and uh, you can't really blame someone for not having been exposed. No. But God bless you for having this kind of a yeah. show that says, you know what, it's never been easier to type in. Right. How about icons of early country music? Right. You know, if you dig Johnny Cash, just wait till you hear Jimmy Rogers. Right. Uh, if, you, if you like Jimmy Rogers, you're going to love Hank Snow and Ernest mm -hmm. Tubb and see how they influenced uh, Bill Anderson and Willie Nelson mm -hmm. when he wore a shark skin suit, a skinny tie, and wore Vitalis on his hair. <laughs> you know, man, there's some story songs there that are oh yeah, sixty years old. Well, the, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, that's the the beauty of, of technology now with the podcast stuff like that. You know, 
uh, Nashville, Nashville radio and CMT and all stuff. They, they got to do what they got to do, yeah. and that's fine for them. But you know, there, but there's a whole bunch of people that still want to have access to country music. And there's so many new. You know, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person putting out new traditional type country. There's there's cats here in this town. There's a lot of cats in Nashville, yeah. Texas. You know, there's oh, a lot of Texas. guys doing it. You know, God bless you, Dale Watson. Yeah, keep it up, buddy. Well, he's a Memphis guy now. You know, he's moved to Memphis, and we all go through we, these phases, don't we? We just want to go somewhere. I don't blame whatever. him for going to Memphis. No. Gosh, it, I love Memphis. They're saying Memphis is the the new Nashville or whatever because Nashville's exploded so much. Uh-huh. It's become very uh, corporate uh, minded because the city's I wonder how long so it'll fast. take till Memphis is becomes a corporate a, town. Is corporate? Yeah, it, 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 I remember when it was rockabilly and roots music and right. barbecue. It's, it's only a matter of time before uh, somebody gets hip to a, a, a town and be like, "Hey, this is a cool place. Let's go there and and blow up." Yeah, the like economy. Austin was. Of, oh yeah. Long. Perfect example. Yeah, now it's so huge and big, but it was like very grassy. Well, I like what you're doing for Sherman Oaks. Well, yeah, we're trying to bring, we're going to make Sherman Oaks the new Austin. Bring your Billy music back Mm -hmm. to Sherman Oaks. Mm -hmm. We're just uh, two blocks away from Freak Beat Records, where country vinyl is a buck a pop. Right. You can't beat that. No. That's less than a a price for download. You You can line your wall with album covers, you know, for 20 bucks. Yeah, that's cheaper than wallpaper. Now, you play, no, so. You played with Ronnie Millsap for a year, you said, right? Yeah, now, all what, of 79. What were the big hits when you were, what was his big radio hits when you were with wow. him, uh, when you were with him out touring? Well, uh, it started taking off for him in the early to mid-70s, so we, of yeah. course, would do, it was almost like a song, Yeah. and uh, uh, let's take the long way around the world, mm-hmm. let's take it real slow. Yeah. Uh, loved that one. In fact... He dedicated that song on the Grand Old Opry stage. Here's what a family man Ronnie is. Yeah. Uh, that afternoon, you know, we're doing sound check, and I said, Ronnie, if there's any way you could dedicate a song to my grandparents, tonight is their 50th wedding anniversary. This was 1979. We're on the Grand Old Opry stage. Halfway through the show, because Ronnie was a featured artist that night, uh, so we got a half hour, and he starts playing... It was almost like a song. And uh, he said, Chad, what's the name of your grandparents? I said, Orville and Ina Lippold. This one goes out to Orville and Ina Lippold celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So, of course, they were in the basement of Kensington Avenue Baptist Church having a big fried chicken and iced tea hoot nanny. Yeah. Listening to the Grand Old Opry. And bless my dad's heart, he recorded it onto 8-track tape. You know, you can punch record on that. You know, it's like a small toaster. Basically, <laughs> you know. yeah. So we have that. Thank you, Ronnie well, Millsap, awesome. again. My family just appreciates you so much for that's, that. Now, that was 79. 79. That's and then awesome. he started getting some really cool R&B tunes. Yeah. Like a button off, off of my shirt. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Right. Uh, in fact, while we were on the road, we started doing Get It Up, Get Down, Get It On, or Get On, Ow, Chicka Boom Boom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was fun because... You know, I, I love those Memphis records and mm-hmm. some crazy bass players influenced me growing up. So he always let me stretch. And he'd also do Honky Tonk Woman, oh, you know. Yeah. The, oh, the Stones Honky Tonk Woman? Yeah, yeah. Well, he played the best music on the bus. Really? Uh, yeah, it was not an ego problem, man. He wanted everybody to love music as much as he did. Right, right, love so, it all. I yeah. just wonder, you being at the Opry in 79, I just wonder if we were ever there at the same time because I was born in 78 telling my age yeah but I was born in 78 and so from the time from immediately when I was born you know my mom and dad would be at the opera maybe once or twice a month something like that 
backstage, you know, usually sure. in Bill's dressing room. So I've got all these. I thought albums. you looked familiar. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. What is that picture on the back of one of your CDs? A Bill holding you, and you're like two or three. That, I think I'm like yeah, probably like a yeah. half or two years old yeah. in that picture or whatever. Yeah, but I've got a whole bunch of other folks pictures. get the CD just for the picture if you just have get to. the picture. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it'd be it'd be amazing if our paths crosses me years ago and. You were, we were just happened to be at the Opry the same night. And About you, 89 or 90, I was there again with Janice Ian. Yeah. And Bill Monroe was the, the host. Was, yeah. He, and uh, in fact, uh, I had one of the early box sets, you know, that they put out. That of four him. CD box yes. set they got. I had that Yeah, one well, I now. bought the cassettes. You bought of the course, cassettes. Because I wanted yeah. to play it. So I rushed to the gift shop and bought it and came back with a Sharpie. And I said, Bill, it'd be a great honor if, if you would sign my box set. And he said, What's your name? I said, Chad. He went, okay. He wrote, thanks, Chat. Chat. I thought, okay. I, I better just tell him. He said, my name's Chad. Not a problem. He takes a Sharpie and turns a T into a big old D. Big old D, yeah. So it looks like we. it, it would appear that we're not really personal friends. Right. <laughs> but I got his autograph, and if your name is Chad, uh, we could talk. Even better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just uh, that would have been eighty nine or ninety. But yeah, I don't know that I was going a lot less then. Yeah, because you know when, when I was it's a long drive before my parents got divorced when I was three. They were there a lot, mm -hmm. but then after my parents got divorced, I'd usually me and my I'd go with my dad maybe maybe once or twice a year or something like that after up yeah. until up until Bill dies. I know I went maybe about a year six months before Bill died was the oh. last time I was at the Opry and. Uh, and, and and that was like about the first time I was old enough to really understand the relevancy of where I was hanging out. And yeah. so that was like the night I went around with my little playbill and got like autographs from oh, everybody really? there. I was like running around, you know, I was probably uh, 13, 14 at the time. I was running around getting everyone's autographs. like like who because that... oh, uh, I've got the I've got the, I've got it framed up there. It's a uh, so let me go grab it. I'm gonna grab it right well, now. Let me grab it right now. Well, I'll I'll, I'll remind him. I got Hank Snow's autograph. Yeah, yeah. He signed my bulletin that evening, and I said, "I know you were on RCA with Charlie. Charlie's a dear friend and just the coolest employer I've ever had." And mm -hmm. Hank leans up and goes, "How is Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's great, man. He got you know uh, cleaned up and show after show he was just wonderful. Really? So it was always fun. In fact, Willie Nelson the same way when I met him." Uh, with the highwayman, uh, Mickey Raphael, a great harmonica player, yeah. is a pretty good buddy. And uh, so I finally met Willie, and uh, Mickey goes, this is, this is Chad, he's Charlie Rich's bass player. And Willie goes, how is old Charlie? <laughs> Everyone loved Charlie. <laughs> yeah, they want yeah. to know how he's doing. I so it's a great honor. Yeah, so this is the, this is the, the, the last uh, play, or play program oh, I had. Oh, wow. This is the last time I seen Bill before he died. And so I got... Uh, I got, uh, yeah, I got, I got all the riders in the sky. I got two slam. I got Bill Anderson, uh, Lori Morgan, uh, little Jimmy Dickens. That was years before he died. Well, we dropped their names earlier. Right now, I got Grandpa Jones, uh, Skeeter Davis. I know she's a doll. She's one of my favorites. Yep. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so I got all the um, the guys from Riders in the Sky. And then this is the the quarter here. If you know Bill. Would always, especially at places like, anytime kids, young kids, whatever, around, he'd he'd give them a quarter. That's his thing. He'd like give them a quarter, and he'd say, "Here, go." Uh, he'd just say something like, uh, "Go, go make something with this." Or do something oh, like, yeah. "Pursue your dreams with this quarter." Plant a seed. Right, because you know, shoot, when he was a kid, he'd go like God, passing out talent. Right. 
And so he passes out. So I, I don't know how in the world I hang, kept that quarter. I hung on to that quarter. I, don't, I think I went home that night from it. And I put I had like a little lockbox or something. Sure. I keep little mementos in, and I wanted to keep that because building that quarter. And then you know, like six months later, uh, he was gone. gone. And so then that's what I, I got that frame and kept or whatever. But um, beautiful. Yeah. So you um, so you joined Charlie Rich in what, like. 80? Well, 1980, yeah. 80, 80, I had been doing rich. some charts for him while still on the road with Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charlie was making records uh, still. I believe he had gone to United Artists at that mm-hmm. point uh, because of uh, uh, Clint Eastwood films. Uh, Clint you right. know, loves country and right. jazz, which is a, a great example to follow. Right. And uh, he had Charlie Rich. He had Millsap also in uh, what... Well, Ronnie had Cowboys and Clowns, and Charlie had I'll Wake You Up When I Get Home. Mm. We always sang, I'll Wake You Up If I Get Home. If I... Kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so, Charlie would, would send me a, you know, a rough uh, collection of tunes to say, could you chart these out for the band? I'm not sure which ones I'll be doing, but I'd like to have charts. So, it was a great honor to be doing charts for the Silver Fox. Right. And uh, eventually, just after a year on the road with Ronnie... Charlie started working more, and I had been recording with his son and his daughters. That whole family just sang like like birds with the blues. Really? You know, yeah. It, you talk about a calling. They were just called to sing. Yeah. His daughters, Lori Rich, Renee Rich, and his sons, Jack Rich and Alan Rich, Charlie Rich Jr., they all just had the connection. When they opened their mouth and sang, mm-hmm. you just could feel... Uh, it, it was spirit-filled, but it was also a heartbreaking, aching sound right. that said, being human is bittersweet. Isn't right. It? And I think that's what we love about our country I artists. Think that's, what, that's, the, the, that's the thing about country music, blues music, folk music, all those, I guess, the, the, kind of like the, the, the pain, the pain of American music. You know, it's like, it's different, you know, folk has its different, uh, folk always seems to be more... A big picture of life, or whatever, like stories, whatever. Blues always seems to be very personal, first person. Less philosophical. Yeah, less philosophical. And then country was like, you know, kind of the, the white man's at that blues. time version sure. of, of blues, you know, or, or you know, three chords in the truth. Right. Or the, like that, you know, you think of the early Carter stuff, like that mountain music. They're just like the the bellowing yeah. blues of, of of living in the mountains. Three minute soap like operas before there was right movie houses. Basically, like. Hillbilly operas, basically, mm-hmm. you know, country music. I always, always, um, not always. I, I, I like assimilate songwriting because you're a songwriter, and, and I always assimilate like songwriting. I didn't at first, but now I look at songwriting like movies, and so like I look at like the first verse is like your opening twenty minutes of of the movie where you're learning who the characters are. Then you got a chorus which comes in, which is kind of like your flop, first plot point of like, oh, here's what's coming. Oh. And then your second verse is more of the of the conflict or more details of conflict. And then you have your you have another you know chorus usually that's kind of like your uh, little button on that. And then you and then you usually have a bridge if you have a bridge. If a bridge is like your big climax resolve. Yeah, which says if you haven't understood everything up to now, here's yeah. your last chance. Here's your last chance. I'll put it in my Cliff's notes, and right. then you'll understand the course. Here's how we're gonna turn around. Here's the resolution. Yeah. So then you got your bridge, and then you got your course out, which is kind of like your last twenty minutes of a movie where everything's wrapped up in a bow. Like I, I think of, like think of, because I think it, not it's not with all types of songs, all type of genres, but I think with with country, especially because country's maybe the most story like. 
of of all music genres as far as like it needs to be it needs to be it's like the lyrics really are when you think of all the great yeah. uh, country songs like Coal Miner's Daughter and, and uh, Three Wooden Crosses songs like that that are he stories he's her today right that one yeah I mean that's you yeah. think like he's top lover today when you're when you're listening to that song you can visualize the whole thing you see it mm-hmm. like a storyboard for a movie you're seeing the whole arc of the beginning and the end and everything like that and it's it's like a it's like a story I mean I, I think it's a tough part of of writing songs especially country songs is you 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 got to tell a, like an hour and a half movie story you got to tell it in, in 3 minutes you got you got to tell it in 3 minutes you got to make yeah. everyone feel all the emotion and the arcs that they need to feel in 3 minutes and, and away with it. make it worthy of being played over and over right and it's like a good joke with a great punchline right you know i mean if you say hey Jed, these two guys walk into a bar i'm like okay i wonder which one this is going to be right and i'm going to Enjoy it, especially if you deliver it well. Right, if you can. Really so sell yeah, it. so yeah. we've got to sing these songs like they matter. You, you do. Or someone I mean, else is going to go. Why should I spend three minutes of my life listening to you? Right. If it's obvious you wish you were driving to the beach. Right. You know. Right. No, my heart is in this. Mm-hmm. I really knew this guy. He said, "I'll love you till I die." Yeah. Okay, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And again, folks, you got to see Michael Monroe Goodman live. Or at least check him out online. Go to YouTube, type type his name in, and the, that band you use, the Honky Tonk Ninjas. Yeah. There's a nickel's worth of humor in that. Well, yeah, yeah. There's that. that you know, I uh, the whole. It's not all tragedy in your world. No, is no. It? We gotta have fun with it. The whole Honky Tonk Ninjas thing came well because you know one of my, if you don't know, one of my uh, most popular songs is Cock Block Ninja, which is this real tongue-in-cheek, satirical, goofy uh, song. It all came from a, a joke or whatever, but like it's caught on. So I kind of was like, oh well, you know, that's a hit song. So I named the band the Honky Tonk Ninjas, uh, just because it, one, it, uh, as soon as people hear it, they're just interested. It's just it's yeah. such a unique name, and no, we don't wear ninja uh, no, clothing. No, it's on not stage country like and that. eastern. Yeah, but then I was listening to something the other day. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but something about talking about ninjas, and it was talking about like the definition of ninjas, how they're how they 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 bring upon something stealthily and without you know without being noticed or whatever mm-hmm. and I thought well that's kind of fitting for for my band Honk Dog Ninjas because here we are in the middle of Los Angeles which most people wouldn't yes. think of as a country music uh, mecca but here and we are and we had a great punchline right it's a it's the juxtaposition of two opposites right exactly I think is the phrase I'm looking right. for yeah well thank you uh, for saying that um, but yeah it's so true about what, what people wonder what what makes certain songs pop or what makes certain songs stick with people and I think of like Coal Miner's Daughter I think of like Crazy Walking After Midnight and it, I think the what happens is or, you know you think of like Code of Many Colors or you sing songs like that and the artist when they're singing it they're being vulnerable they're actually conveying something that's true to their heart even if it's not a true story they're tapped into yeah. the story of the song they feel it, and so then that's why people can feel it. Because you could write, you could you could take a song, like like a Cole Myers Daughter or something, and someone could write a song that kind of has all the same instrumentation, has all the same maybe, you know, uh, euphemisms or cliches or whatever in it that, that they have to have that, and say, oh, we've created another. But if like, but if the person singing it or the the, the story behind it is not genuine, 
without knowing it, other human beings will sniff it out. You know, they'll kind of, yeah. they might not know why they don't like it, but they're like, ah, I just don't connect with that. Yeah. But then when they do hear something that's genuine, like, that's the thing about the human spirit, like, that I truly believe, is the human spirit recognizes the human spirit in other things. And so when they see or hear something like that, yeah. that's why people are so drawn to it. Like fellowship among Christians. Right, exactly. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to itself. Right. And it's going to gather like mercury. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's at the spiritual level. But right. also at just the, an artistic level, we go and see art in right. a gallery. Right. I'm connecting with that. But, you know, and the person next to me is connecting with it for maybe a totally different reason. Right. But the muse, the mu as yeah. in music, the muse is flowing, saying, see what we have in common? These right. emotions that... Yeah. It's the, li it's the light that binds us all together. Flow. You know, it's like yeah. everyone, I believe everyone has light. God put every light in all of us. And a lot of times in, in this day and age, it's kind of hard to let that light shine. You got a lot of, <laughs> you got a lot of responsibilities. You got yeah. a lot of stress. Yeah. You got a lot of stuff dealing that. But when, but when you're, you're lined up with your light and your light shines, people are attracted to that, especially with, with artists who are putting that light into their music. Who are under pressure. Right. To perform at this level mm -hmm. we've seen you perform at this level we want that person right we don't care what kind of day you had mm -hmm. you're playing from 9 to one thirty, and make it as great as I've seen you mm -hmm. do before oh, thank you. you know sure um, but now so do you have any any like uh, you know we'll learn history but you got any interesting stories about anything mm. you tell us about Charlie Rich that we wouldn't find on Wikipedia or something else. I got wonderful yeah. things about his yeah. his approach of to course, music and him as a person. Everyone knows about a couple of interesting stories that mm -hmm. you know are more negative on the negative side, and the, you know the demons that he wrestled with. But what a what a great family man and a giant heart for fellow musicians. Mm -hmm. I remember one afternoon in Nashville. You know, you check the mail, and I thought, oh, there must must be a uh, mistake here. I I got a check from the Silver Fox Enterprises. Uh, didn't do that gig, so I called the office, and uh, his manager said, "Oh, well, Charlie had that gig book. Uh, he just didn't tell anybody, but then he canceled because of his uh, he was having dental surgery, but he uh, wanted to pay everybody as though the gig was going to happen. So he just wanted to say thanks. Really, really proud of you." You know, for thanks for being in my band. It was just, wow, pennies from heaven. Right. You, you don't, you don't get that from a lot of bosses. No. Uh, but I mean, he was down home enough. Uh, uh, in fact, the next gig when I saw him, I said, "Man, thanks." He said, "Man, I remember when I played all night for thirty bucks and all I could drink." He wow. said, "I usually got my money's worth." <laughs> but he said, "I I know what it means to be a full time musician, and I yeah. just wanted you guys to know I appreciate you." Now, uh, just just for context, that was probably in the early mid '80s. How much? Yeah. How much would you get? Like, a, say, for instance, that show that you, that, that was supposed to happen that didn't happen. Yeah. Like, uh, he paid three hundred a show. You got paid back. That's back in the early '80s. So yeah. You'd go uh, because he didn't work, you know, constantly. I mean, mm -hmm. he wasn't on the road. Yeah. You know, guys like Millsap, they're going to give you a salary because right. you just say goodbye to the apartment for uh, weeks at least at a time yeah. because there's so many fair dates community civic centers, high mm -hmm. school auditoriums, colleges. And that's that was like going to college. By the way, speaking of Ronnie, what a, a sound wizard he was. He loved tuning a room, whether it really? was a small dinner theater or a college rodeo stadium. 
Oh, he couldn't wait to he get on to get stage. It all in yeah, so it well, you earned your money with Ronnie because right. plus you learned. I learned a lot about frequencies, and you know he would be at the front of the stage. Of course, he was so funny. You know, I was going, "How far do I have to go, Chad?" And I go, "Oh, about four feet." You know, and there'd be four inches, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but he would know, and the crowd would go, "No, no, no!" You know, right? So there was so much humor with this guy, right. but his passion for the music. Uh, Charlie Rich, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, another generous gentleman was Freddie Fender. I spent the last eight years of Freddie's life uh, doing casinos, yeah. uh, fairs, outdoor fairs um, from South Texas to Sacramento. And he would just fly the band. He was so generous. You wanted your Christmas card from Freddie Fender, let me really? tell you. Really? Yeah, he had a great way of saying thank you great way What's and musically you had so much fun you weren't exactly sure what song was going to be next uh, Charlie Ronnie the same way they were they're gifted down to earth guys that were really blessed with genius right in fact Charlie Rich's son said something to me about his dad that has really helped me deal with uh, you know I'm no genius but it's a great honor to make music for those who are mm -hmm. Alan said you know Talent does what it can, and genius does what it must. So they really have no choice. Charlie hadn't planned on being a crossover artist. Right. It was just his way out of cold Arkansas, moving up to Memphis, to combine his uh, passion for jazz. He loved Miles and Stan Getz. He loved hillbilly music. Uh, and the way he played, it was like a guy in a Pentecostal church with the blues. Right. And then that country velvety voice just rolled out of him. It's not like he planned that formula. That's just what you got when you hired Charlie Rich. Yeah, I think it's just it's just what happened. I think a lot of times with win anything, with uh, you know being a musician or being a comedian or whatever like that, you got like you might have some ideas of where you think you want to go, but then you like you kind of stumble across some things that are within you, and people go, "Hey, we want more of that." Give me more, exactly. Yeah, and you discover more, what it please. Is. And Charlie's yeah. like. Okay, well, Billy Sherrill, the producer. Yeah. Thanks. That seems to be working. Let's do another album with these pickers. Right. It's like and you find that yeah. magic that that just everything lines up. You know, yeah. you think of like, you know, I mean, you think of of would Buck Owens be Buck Owens if he hadn't found Don Rich? You know, just because yeah. it the was chemistry. such a crucial chemistry that they had together and I'd say not just musically but like spiritually as such good friends yeah. that they had such a, a connection with that so it's just like you know Buck found Don and it was just like bringing another soul brother in there with him that, that got it and was on the same page and wanted to do the same thing and they were just you know that's why I mean Buck's, Buck said he, Buck never really had uh, a, a, his own hit after Don passed you know I mean he had the hit with with Yoakum years sure. later, but like Buck was kind of relegated to being this, you know, the legend he was and, and being on Hee Haw because when Don Rich was gone, it was kind of like that, 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 that part of his sound wasn't there, you know, it was kind of, you know, I think heavens, we had that for as long as we did. Yeah. I mean, it's a blessing that you have it even as long as you do. Just in case you don't know what we're talking about, go to YouTube, type in Buck Owens and the Buckaroos right. and type in Buck and Dwight. Uh, Pete Anderson did a beautiful job of producing a couple of Buck records. But, um, of course, I know Pete is, he's one of my heroes. I didn't, I know Pete, you know, produced most, 
all the, those big early uh, yeah. Dwight Yoakam records. I didn't know that he produced a couple albums for Buck later. Yeah, later in, in fact, the years. Hot Dog. It was a follow up after Buck and Dwight hit. Right. Buck's career was uh, revived. Yeah. If you want to use that term, yeah. at least the the music business, because he was a a brilliant businessman. Oh yeah. And you know, a lot of folks don't know that. And a publishing publishing wizard. Yeah. But what a joy to to meet him and shake his hand, and he was really concerned that fans get their money's worth. Right. You know. Well, I mean, yeah, you say that. I mean, I don't know. If a lot of people, you know this. A lot of people don't know that. Like uh, the, the the night Buck died, he was playing you know the Crystal Palace in Bakersfield, which was his venue, and he played there. I guess he played there several nights a week up his until house he gig. died. It was yeah. his house gig, you know, it was his place or whatever. And he'd went in there to go play one night and didn't feel good at all and told the band he was going to go home and rest, you know, let the rest of the band could take over for that night. And as he got in the parking lot to leave, there was a couple pulled up. I think they drove from Oregon. Um, they had drove from Oregon or Washington or whatever uh, to see him that night play, and he was so... Touched by them driving that that far, they said, "I'm not going to let him down." He went back inside, and he played played the set that night for them, not feeling well. Oh. Did the set and then went home that night, and that's when he died. He went, he, he died in sleep wow. that night. That he, and that's how I think that's how any true country artist. That's how you want to go out. You want to go out, yeah. uh, you know, being there for the fans like that and going out with one last hurrah. And it just shows. It just shows how much uh, how much Buck really appreciated the fans, as, mo- as most country yeah, the artists give and do. take between fans yeah. and the artists. You know, we love right. that. Uh, there's a a lot of guys that are still touring that didn't even have a hit, but they have right. a loyal fan base. Right. And there's those who had a hit in the '60s or the '70s and still mm-hmm. doing county fairs. Right. Uh, you know, I don't want to mention those names, but. Right. Uh, told that story more because my dad mentioned that to me in high school you know as I was making career moves and I was in a a rock band on you know Saturday and a gospel band on Sunday and you know studying music dad was Mm -hmm. a music teacher but went back to college and became a child psychologist so the conversations around the table were always about well what are you thinking about doing with with your your life Mm -hmm. Uh, is it going to be music full time I'm like yeah that I know that's pretty much what I'm going to mm, do. That, that you know. So, and he said, "Well, don't forget how loyal the country fans are. Right. If you're a great storyteller and you've got something to say, they're going to want to keep coming to hear you. Right. Opposed to like a pop artist, you know, if you're trying to be a pop star, man, good luck with that. Yeah, it's a much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, uh, pop is, you know, um, which, I mean, the definition of pop changes over the years because what was popular in 1956 and what's popular 2019 yeah. very different. What would you consider pop music? But like pop music is whatever is just sizzling hot at that moment in time. It's big, and you know a lot of people have those are blessed to have like those one-hit wonders or whatever, and hopefully they they make enough money to live on sure. the rest of their life from the one-hit wonders. But you know, but John Connolly is still drawing a crowd, but not so much the Bay City Rollers. No, right, right, right. I mean, I'm sure they're still out there doing it, you know. Yeah. But if like you're, you know, uh, if you're like the Bay City Rollers or you're. Uh, uh, a band like you or the, the, the Proclaimers something like that you got that one big hit you had Red Miles right. I love yeah. that record that's a great hey that's where are they one. playing let's go see them let's go see them I let's think they still country around but like you got if, if you're one of those bands you, it's gotta be tough yeah. to like go out there and do a show and to fill an hour hour and a half knowing that like 
you've got that one song that people are going to go nuts for, and they might not know the rest of your catalog. I mean, like the diehard fans. I'm sure there are diehard sure. Proclaimer fans who know every single song, you know, that they do, and, and God bless them. That's that's great. But like, but there's you know bigger. Uh, number of people just know that one song and they're just kind of crazy about that. So it's kind of it's got to be tough for uh, pop artists uh, like that to 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 stay energized, knowing um, that they that, that they might only be one of the. But I will say this too: I was in Vegas back in '05 or '06. I went there uh, with friends. First time I went to Vegas. First time I ever flew an airplane as an adult. And um, you got to get out more. I, well, I was I, I didn't get out much when I was a kid back in uh, Kentucky. But then I uh, went to Vegas, and I was so disappointed first time I went to Vegas because I wanted to see Wayne Newton. I'd always wanted to oh, see yeah. Wayne Newton. And he was like on a two-week break or whatever when I was there. And so I was like talking to people there, and I was like, I wanted to see Wayne Newton. He's not playing uh, while I'm here. And they said, go see Clint Holmes. And they go, yeah. you're going to love him. I didn't know who Clint Holmes was at the time. And, uh, and I said, okay. So I bought a ticket to go see Clint Holmes. Phenomenal. One of the best show bands I've ever seen in my life. Such a versatile band amazing you know he's like one of those those he's kind of like he's kind of like a johnny mathis or a wayne Newton, like big show band big uh big voice singer and um anyway put on a fabulous show he did some sammy davis jr tunes he did a lot of great songs he did some stuff he'd done but he told this wonderful story of uh his one hit when he was i think oh, it was the 60s or something like that his one hit was a my name is Michael. I got a nickel. I got that yeah. that song, which was a hit, and that's the only hit that I know of that he had. And he talked about it in this uh, in his show, and he said, you know, he said sometimes, you know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of rough. Like, you know, he's like people ask, like, well, you know, how do you how do you do a show, or how do you feel only really having that one big mainstream hit, whatever like that. And he said, well, how many do you have? Better to have better to be a has been than it never was. That's true. Better, than, yeah. So uh, you know, you'd be blessed with uh, at least a, a one hit wonder. That's in the in, in this day and age, especially this day and age with the way yeah. the music industry is now. If you get one hit wonder, you're you you you're blessed and you ride that. You know, especially if you you ride it uh, wisely. You know, you kind of and if you can follow it up by being entertaining, by being you'll good, get work. that always helps too. Being good yeah. helps as well. Um, so. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about you. We talked about a little bit about Charlie Rich. Well, let's talk first. We're gonna move on. Now you're saying I'm, I'm not a little. I'm a little naive. Uh, you're saying that Charlie had some demons, or Charlie had some things that that hurt. I'm, I'm not aware of of what were, were there things that oh. mistakes Charlie made or demons he had that riddled his career. Yeah, like a lot of cats that were on the road. You know, um, alcohol, alcohol problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Um, I will say this that uh, when I started working with him mm -hmm. uh, of course he had he had worked that out he had, he and he wanted to work I mean nice. like I said earlier uh, you know just bringing up sweet memories of Memphis mm -hmm. uh, he loved to play he loved to work and once he got that straightened out he was great to hang with mm -hmm. he was a, a fun daddy to his kids right um, as a band leader, he passed out solos, you know, like like you do when it's working mm -hmm. and the dance floor is packed or the right. energy of the crowd's with you. Hey, let's not stop this train prematurely. It's right. rolling. Right. He, I mean, he would give me bass solos. There's a, you know, there's a jazz psyche in that guy. Right. If you're doing Big Boss Man and he calls for a bass solo, 
Really? At the North California State Fair? Right. You want another bass solo? Right. I'm with you, buddy. Yeah. But uh, he was a, a, a classy gentleman. Yeah. Once he got the, uh, the drinking demon behind him. You that's know, it good. was a thing of the past. And so he did get that. He did get. The, he did tackle yeah. that, and it put. That's great to hear. Yeah, and it was heartbreaking. Uh, we lost him in '95. Yeah. Because of a blood clot. Yeah. Of a, a broken ankle, and he just thought he had sprang it, and it didn't go to the doctor. And long story short, when he finally did go, and he said, "You know, this gets better, and then it gets worse," and they said, "Well, we've got to watch it. There's a blood clot in there." Oh. And it did get to his lung. It got to his lung. Uh, but it was in his sleep. And that evening, he had been to see his son, Charlie Rich Jr., yeah. play with the Texas Tornadoes. Nice. Alan was the band leader for F Freddie Fender, Augie Myers, Flaco Jimenez Jr., and Doug Song. Mm -hmm. they, they were so huge, you know, they were considered the, yeah. the Mexican Beatles. Yeah, they were. Uh, and Alan was a keyboard player, and uh, Alan sobered up and became just an amazing, gifted, prolific writer, singer, and web design master, mm -hmm. but Charlie and his wife, Margaret Ann, who had written several hits for Charlie, yeah. we met in the field of yellow daisies, what's up, Sunday kind of woman like you doing with an everyday kind of man like me, mm -hmm. can you imagine your wife bringing you that tune and go, hey, why don't you sing this, right. oh, what inspired this, <laughs> where, where, it's a hit, darling, from? sure, I'll cut this, sure. and stay married, uh, so that was, you know, that's the fun family side of Charlie, and uh, he loved the music. Like I said, it, it was very fresh. Every show was fresh. Mm -hmm. He had an outline of what he would do. And musically, it, it was very inspiring yeah. uh, to be with him. Right. And when it was time for barbecue, he insisted on buying dinner for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say he conquered those demons. That's good. But then the darndest things happen. You know, well, you, you know, clean up your life and then you die of a blood clot. It's That's, your time. It's your time. Uh, and, and what a trail what of a magnificent records he left yeah, with he us. Yeah, amazing. From the uh, late 50s on Phillips International with Lonely Weekends. Mm -hmm. I love that song up through so his, much. Uh, Big Boss Man and Mohair Sam. And uh, and then Billy Sherrill got a hold of him and said, let's try a little uh, orchestra yeah. in there with, with your piano playing. Found, so yeah. it was kind of that, a lot of hammer-ons. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's something else when you, you think about, um, you know, as many biographies and stuff I've read of all my country heroes it seems like it's such a pattern with a lot of these great music legends that they they have to tackle some kind of demon or you know not all of them but there's some of them that's like I don't know if, if your theory if, if it's a I think part of it is a lot of these a lot of these great country artists they got Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash and, and Charlie Rich and these guys had humble beginnings you know which which influenced and and gave them the foundation to be able to write from a place of 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 lack, be able to be able to write songs about pain and struggle and all that stuff, which makes them country artists. But it's like also too, it's like maybe they have unresolved stuff that once the fame comes and they have to deal with all the stress, they have to deal with all the the, the everything that comes with fame. That their their way out is through some sort of drug or, or yeah. drinking or whatever, and then it might take them a while to figure out how to to balance that or conquer it or get over it. There's also the element that folks that haven't traveled mm -hmm. don't realize you've got a lot of time on your hands traveling. Right, when you're, when and you're traveling. And how am I going to fill this void? I miss my family. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be with my kids. But I'm 
the northwest coast right you know playing fair dates and honky tonks mm -hmm. and from and well the more successful you get the less hours you're going to spend out there right on stage you know you're not being asked to make people dance from nine to one no sing your hits from 10 to eleven thirty, and then we'll go out drinking right oh great you got to fill in that time. <laughs> what time do I have to be up tomorrow? Right. You know, and that, a, you know, I, I just saw that time and time again. And it hits everybody. You think it hits every, everyone you've seen yeah, on the road? Yeah, but there's a just... challenge. How are they going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. uh, how quick did this fame come upon them? Right. Uh, what matters to them? You know, uh, the Imperials. I spent a year on the road. I dropped out of Bible college to go on the road with the Imperials for a year, all their 75. Yeah. And I was never more impressed with a bunch of gentlemen, especially proclaiming the gospel. Right. Uh, because there is a business to mm -hmm. it, but these guys were uh, sold out to the Lord, and that's why they left Elvis, because it became more showbiz, and they felt like they were really called to the ministry. Right. So they said goodbye to the king of rock and roll. To serve the King of Kings, right, is what they would tell right. people. So we're back out making gospel music. Mm -hmm. So that's why I dropped out of Bible college to see what it's like at the top. Right, you know. In fact, that had been, a, you know, I was 21, and it was in my prayers. I said, you know, God, I'm I'm listening. I really want you to guide me because there's so many options. Uh, I love all kinds of music. Uh, of course, I've been playing country with my parents. Mm -hmm. I've been playing in a, a funk band. I grew up playing trombone, so I was in a uh, a couple of bands that, you know, we did James Brown, uh, R&B standards, right. Blood, Sweat and Tears, Otis Redding. So I said, you know, unless the Eagles or the Imperials call, I'm going back into college. Right. Sunday night before my sophomore year, the phone rings and this giant deep voice uh, said, Chad, it's Armin with the Imperials. We'd like for you to fly to Nashville and audition. And I thought, oh, this is funny. One of my friends <laughs> knows that it was going to take the Eagles or the Imperials. Right. And I said, oh, who is this really? He goes, well, it's Armin with the Imperials. <laughs> oh, okay then. And then I told him, I said, right. funny, I, you know, when you pray for rain, you should take an umbrella. Right. You know, it, it happened. It, and they're yeah. like, I'm sorry, buddy. I thought it was a friend playing a joke on me because I wanted to hear from you or the Eagles. You called, so I'm coming. There you go. So that's how I, I spent a year there. with the great, great gentleman of the Imperials who were mm -hmm. really called into the Lord's service. And to this day, they're still uh, serving in concert. That's so so God bless the Imperials. You want to check out some real spirit-filled gentlemen to do great singing. Yeah. Go see the Imperials. Now, you know, uh, did you know, um, I've read this, and uh, I've got this book. I haven't read all the way through it, but it's called The Gospel Side of Elvis. Yes, I and got that for my birthday just yeah. recently. And, uh, it, you know, it talks about it's from... Uh, uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, um, but anyway, Joe Michiel. Joe Michiel. Yeah, that's talking about a lot of people don't know just how much Elvis loved gospel music. I mean, Grant, all of his Grammys come from gospel music, but they don't realize like that was his first love, and I still think uh, from from what people have said that that's still his number one love in life was gospel music, sure. even more so than the rock and roll or what he was famous oh, for. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, in that book, I think he's telling the story of how Elvis, you know, was hanging out at all the uh, the gospel conventions or, or concerts or whatever, and wanted very much to be in a gospel quartet. And he actually, I can't remember who it was, but he actually was um, had an audition 
to uh, join one of those big gospel I think it was the Blackwood Brothers. Yeah, that sounds right. And he actually had an audition to join the Blackwood Brothers, and I mean, he would have got it because of the, yeah. because of, and he and a week before that happened, Sun Records, you know, he, he went into Sun Records, and the rest is history. But it's like it was, you talk about that, like a, had th- had it been another week, if he would have joined yeah. the gospel group instead, would we never know who Elvis Presley was, King of Rock and Roll? He might have he he probably would have been very content. Living the rest of his life being in gospel, being a gospel tech quartet singer because he loved gospel so much. But man, the world we would have missed out on yep. the genius and the and the, the talent that, that Elvis Presley was. It's funny when when God wants something done, it, it'll happen. If, if, if you if, if you got to if you want to hear God laugh, let it, tell him your plans. That, yeah, that's, I love you know, that that's one. That's the thing. It's like yeah. if, if, if that's what God has destined you to do with your music, and I think that's the thing. If 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 God's put a gift in your heart. Uh, made you a musical genius or whatever. He's got songs in you that the world needs to hear, yeah. and almost no matter what you do, they're gonna they're gonna get there because uh, the world needs it. We need the world needs art. The world needs great music. Yeah. Needs great uh, uh, writings and plays and and visual art, all that stuff. And if any of your listeners are wondering, really, he did a lot of gospel music. Now, folks my age are gonna remember, you know, oh yeah, he, he loved. Uh, Bill Gaither songs. Mm-hmm. Check out "He Touched Me." In fact, I mentioned the Imperials. Mm-hmm. They sang back up on that yeah. Grammy Award-winning album. "He Touched Me." That's my favorite yeah. Elvis recording. Yeah, it's it's you can feel. I, I think I think everyone, uh, most Elvis fans, if they if they don't, I don't know what to say, but most Elvis mm-hmm. fans get the most out of listening to Elvis sing gospel. I mean, yeah. it's great. It's, it's, he made every song his, but like, man, there's like a there's something when he's singing gospel, you just have a whole other level of 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 him in it when he's singing the gospel music. You can tell he he really means it. It really it really speaks to and him. And Joe, who wrote that book, knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. He had been in the Imperials through the gospel days and on stage with Elvis. And Joe became quite the uh, uh, executive in the publishing world as well. And what a great storyteller! And there's pictures of the Imperials. With Elvis, Carol Channing, and Larry Gatlin also spent a little time with the Imperials oh, nice. uh, back in Elvis. I'm not sure when he pitched uh, his songs to Elvis, but you know Elvis cut a couple of uh, yeah. Larry Gatlin songs, yeah, too. And on uh, uh, oh, Christopherson cut a couple also, right, with Larry. But uh, yeah, Larry Gatlin with the Imperials, and uh, big fan of your stuff, Larry. Keep it up. Now let's talk a little bit before we get to playing some songs. Let's talk a little bit about you. Now you moved out here in L.A. in '84, yeah. you said, and you met your beautiful, wonderful wife Pam, who's also a phenomenal singer. Pam Lowe, California country music hall of famer. Mm-hmm. We like and to y'all, say. y'all play together quite a bit. Uh, it's always anyone. Here's the thing: when I moved, when I, I noticed about being in L.A. within a year, anyone who's anyone knows Chad Watson in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> Country, oh, blues, so heart. whatever it is, any, everywhere I go, someone knows Chad Watson. I go to I go to Nashville or I go somewhere else, and someone 
I say, oh, I live in L.A. They go, you know Chad Watson? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I do. Um, that guy will play bass for anyone who yeah, he will, calls him. Yeah, he, will, he will put a bass solo in any, any, anywhere <laughs> you need it. Yeah, I'm afraid that maybe I would get more calls if that wasn't tagged at the end of, oh, yeah, Chad. I think you would. I think. Well, you would. thank you. The, thank the, you. Well, that was the, like the first time. I really time. don't think every song needs a bass solo. No, but some do. Well, but, but, most, every, but, every, song needs, but every song needs Chad Watson bass solo. Maybe well, I just love that every song needs bass. Well, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, it helps. And I know there's some girl that plays ukulele right now going, I would never call him. Right. I could lay out. I could lay out. Well, you can also play the ukulele for it, too. So you just oh, steal yeah, all don't the tell thunder. her that. You just steal all the thunder. Yeah. Uh, just hide what you got to hide to get work. But, yeah, that's one of the things, um, you know, with the exception, you know, back home in Kentucky or your bands I had back in Kentucky or uh, bands in Chicago. Uh, if I had like an upright bass player, you know, that might do like a little you know, upright solo or something, yeah. some double slap thing like that. But I've never, uh, in, in my history of, of playing music, uh, especially country anyway, maybe other genres have played different, but like never like threw the electric bass uh, guy a solo. But then shortly after you started playing with me some, like people would say, give Chad a solo. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, what? Really? What? And I'm like, and so, and then as soon as I did, then I got it. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, oh, of course. Your heart I was like, well, I'm glad you. to, I'm glad, I did not, I was not aware of this, but now that I'm aware of the superb uh, bass soloing skills that you have, My. you, I pre, I'm not going to go a show without throwing Chad Watson a bass Bless solo. Bless It's a whole nother art form that you, you do a bass solo in. It's, it's, it's totally something it can't even be mad. You play the melody better on the bass than I than I can on the guitar. That's for sure. And, well, uh, the melody is so often overlooked, right? Isn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it's a hook. It's a great place to start, right? And then embellish it, and then come back to it, and then hand it back to yeah. the singer. Right. I, I try to think like that, like right, like a short story within a, a larger story. Right. I, I, I that's one thing I've struggled with with guitar playing over the years. You know, I first just became a rhythm guitar players to accompany myself singing but then as I started playing lead as a necessity and, and, and got better at doing it I've learned licks or I've learned things like that but I've, I've always like I beat myself up for wanting to be more melodic and so that's that's something I work on now trying to like if I can just play the melody when I solo and get that down then I can figure out ways to embellish that and make it better but it's like Sometimes a bag of licks just kind of gets tiresome, you know. When in yeah. doubt, just play the melody. Yeah, you know, because that's what makes the song. The well, song I anyway. I enjoy the personality in your solos. Do you? Sure, yeah. I do. Yeah. And uh, I've got like three licks, and I just do them different orders. So man, people and don't you realize. know the guys to call. Huh? You know the guys to call too. And when you got a dance floor full and the energy's pumping, mm-hmm. and uh, the band is grooving, yeah, yeah, we don't have to do the three-minute version of this. No, I like how you go, Kevin. Just we'll keep going, and then yeah. you're back to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. This guy is fun, folks. Well, I mean, you. if you like Wayne Newton, Clint Holmes, Sammy Davis Jr., Johnny Cash, and you see, quite the entertainer, Michael Monroe. Well, yeah, Gilbert. we do a lot of Clint Holmes and Wayne Newton songs in my set. I would like to do we should, uh, Michael. We should. I've got a nickel. Why don't you throw that in your show? We should do that one. Yeah, we could do that. We could do a country. We could do a medley of Clint Holmes hits. We could do. We could do. He would. I'm sure he would appreciate that. Um, phenomenal. If you if you're in Vegas and you and you see Clint Holmes, there, go see him. He's amazing. And go see Sal Santiago in Vegas. Sal, also, I don't know Sal. Santiago. Yeah, he hosts the uh, open mic on Sunday afternoons. Where at? Uh, 
you know what? You'd have to go to Facebook, Sal Santiago. Sal Santiago. Check it out. Tell him Chad and Michael Monroe Goodman sent you. All right. Our buddy uh, Mike Smart plays bass for him. Uh, Mike is the son of Sue and Del Smart. Uh, Out here, legendary country husband and wife duo on uh, Capitol Records. Cliffy Stone produced them. In fact, these are some more California royalty uh, names that you enjoy. If you really love what he's up to, uh, you'll like Cliffy Stone, uh, Hometown Jamboree. Uh, Cliffy had Johnny Cash... Uh, the Collins kids, mm-hmm. uh, Ferland Husky, just all the royal country western acts out of the south would come to California and do the TV show. So, uh, talk about an entertainment that's Cliffy Stone, Ferland Husky, uh, Simon Crum, all these, just Google them. And that's the best I can do. Since your show is about being informative and entertaining, uh, also, it was Towns Van Zant that I first heard say, I'd like to do a medley of my hit. And then he'd sing Poncho and Lefty. Right. So that's where we steal that one from. Though he, of course, had a ton of tunes. Thank you, Towns, for all oh, you brought. Phenomenal. You and Guy Clark. Yeah, those guys are just on a whole other level as far as songwriters. That's, uh, I would like to be that one day would be nice but uh, you're still Jim Lauderdale I'm young Jim Lauderdale yeah Jim Lauderdale he's one of oh, my yeah. heroes too and you think of all the hits he wrote for yeah. George Strait and other guys just and but just him himself just a great uh, I guess he's got a couple team. of tunes on the brand new George Strait album that's Does he? to come out Is yeah. it, oh okay yeah, I, just saw I haven't it. listened to the whole album I've listened to a couple tunes but I, that's good to know that there's some new Lauderdale tunes on and the if you George like Strait Jim album. Lauderdale and Dale Watson you'll also love Buddy Miller but he's an old friend of ours. We were doing casuals uh, with uh, Lee Harper, my wife Pam Lowe, and Buddy and I started writing Christian kid songs. I, I like being Cowboy Chad for right. situations, you know, preschools, elementary schools, just encouraging kids to just be themselves. Right. And think about what you want to be when you grow up. And don't invade other people's space, but you're the best one in the world for being you. Right. So Buddy and I... We're uh, writing songs, and he said, hey, my wife got a record deal in Nashville. It's a Christian record deal. Uh, Julie Miller, great talent. Uh, Emmy Lou's covered some of her tunes. Yeah. Emmy Lou Harris. So, buddy, we'd been doing casuals and writing some kid songs. So he moves to Nashville, hooks up with Jim Lauderdale. Buddy and Jim, in fact, they still have a uh, quite the radio show on uh, uh, Sirius Radio. Check out Buddy Miller and Jim Lauderdale. Yeah, check that out. So you like great storytelling, great singer-songwriters. There's a couple of our friends, Jim Lauderdale and Buddy Buddy Miller. Miller. And we're going to uh, cut, and we're going to do some original songs of yours as well. We're going to record that. I'll I'll share a song or two, and uh, we'll uh, wrap this up. And if if, uh, you're in the L.A. area, anytime, you you can come see me and the Honky Tonk Ninjas. Chad might be there. Uh, or go go to see go see Chad Watson, Pamelo, and Hipshot anytime they're playing around. Chad's doing a lot of session work during the day, but he's usually playing with somebody that's a big deal at night. It's because everybody everybody knows and loves Chad. He's always playing with somebody. So, uh, Cowboy Palace Saloon in Chatsworth. It's yep. been good to Michael and me. Maui Sugar Mill in Reseda, and we just played Starting Gate in Starting Los Alamitos. Games. Yeah, we play that. Sunday that Swallows was in. Swallow I mean, in. if you're watching this show from the East Coast, you're like, well, where do you play? Right. Just thought I'd mention a couple of these 
joints that say, "Hey, man, keep it real." Yeah, there's a lot of Come there's, play there's a lot there. of great dance hall country yeah. venues here in Southern mm-hmm. California that a lot of people don't know about. Like I said, there's Cowboy Palace in Chatsworth, which is featured on Dancing with the Stars and countless music videos or TV shows all the time. But they need like a country honky tonk backdrop. They go to Cowboy Palace for yeah. a TV show. Um, you know, there's Joe's in Burbank, which has music every night of the week. They have country night on Fridays. They have a lot of great other uh, t- jazz and swing and stuff there as well. Um, Swallows Inn in Samuel Capistrano, legendary uh, uh, venue down there, has country two or three nights a week. Um, mothers, we play at the Mothers beach. Mothers Tavern, which is in Huntington Beach. They have Mothers a Tavern. You gotta love a place called Mothers right. Tavern. You gotta love Mother. And so uh, they have a lot of great uh, variety of music there. Uh, like I said, we play Cowboy Country, which is a historic uh, yeah. dance hall, been around for a long time. Ken's got a great spot there. And uh, Long Beach was in, featured in Thelma and Louise and some other movies and stuff have been filmed there. Um, I think the other place we play uh, Stillwater, which is a great dance hall venue yeah. down in uh, Dana, Point. Dana Point. They did country a couple nights a week down there. Great dance floor, um, uh, all the way up in a uh, little outside of L.A., all the way up Apple Valley, um, near uh, Roy Rogers. Uh, yeah, place up there. There's there's the Cadillac Ranch, which is a great honky tonk venue. They have country music every weekend there. Play there. So they're out there. They're still honky tonks. It looks around. like a miniature broken spoke. Right, they? it does, not it? It's yeah. like going in to see Dale Watson there at uh, yeah. in Austin. Yeah. It's all right. Here we go. Now we Thank got some Chad Watson going to share some of his songs with us. What's this one here, Chad? Well, you know, they tell you right about what you know. Right. So here's one about food. <laughs> uh, this showed up on an HBO program called The Riches. Eddie Izzard and Minnie Driver. Uh, this is playing in the diner after she gets out of prison and her family comes to pick her up. So, if you think a song sounds familiar, maybe, maybe you heard it. Maybe it was on a jukebox in the cafe outside the prison. Hmm. It's called I Love a Cafe. Now, when I don't feel like cooking, I just get in the truck and go looking for the old fashioned down home diner I might have missed. It's a late day blue plate special I can't resist. Gotta have a chicken fried steak and the gravy white A bowl of okra steaming on the side Crackling cornbread, sorghum soaking through And to wash it all down, the coffee freshly brewed Cause I love a cafe I love a cafe Don't you love a cafe? Don't you love a cafe? There ain't no substitute if a homie nook is what you crave I love a cafe. I love a cafe. I hear you love a cafe. Don't you love a cafe? Gonna find me in a place with breakfast served all day. I need me a waitress with two first names like Betty Marie or Emma Lou. You don't matter what the name on her blouse is. A fine sugar will do. She knows an extra dollar would be hers if she takes care of you. There's a juke in the corner, it's three for a quarter. I play the possum and I decide to order. Home fries, a hash brown with that almond from Miles Chicken Menu. And to wash it all down, the coffee is freshly brewed. I love a cafe. I love a cafe. Don't you love a cafe? Don't you love a cafe? There ain't no substitute if a homie nook is what you crave. 
And out west, blue cornmeal and honey butter paste. Just desserts, it's a matter of taste. But I know you'll agree if I say I love a cafe. I love a cafe. Don't you love a cafe? Don't you love a cafe? There ain't no substitute if a homie knuckers what you crave. I love a cafe. I love a cafe. Don't we need a cafe? Don't you need a cafe? Gonna find me in a place of breakfast served all day. Find me in a place breakfast served all day. Oh, waitress. Don't you love a cafe? Mm. You know, there's a funny, funny story. It was a joke for so long, but I was at a, a, a diner with my wife and mm -hmm. our youngest boy, and they know this had been a, one of my favorite jokes forever. And the, I finally got a chance... To use his punchline, the waitress walked up. I obviously wasn't done mm -hmm. with my omelet. Right. And she said, do you want a box for that? I said, no, but I'll wrestle you for it. <laughs> I think it was more of an uh. inside family because they know that's one of my favorite jokes. Right. And when that's she walked up, just, they looked at me like, you're going you're gonna to follow through, aren't you? Right, right, right. So there's one of my food true stories. I love that joke. Uh, that reminds me, years ago when I lived in Nashville and I worked uh, as a bank teller, at Am South Bank, and this girl that worked a window with me, um, she was hilarious. And so we just cut up and had fun with time. But she was like, she told me, she's like, I grew up very sheltered. She's like, I was just very sweet, innocent, like didn't know stuff, and said that um, her and her husband, uh, uh, they went to a wedding, or, and uh, somebody that the, the people had put on their, wrote on their windshield of the wedding car, or whatever, said, You've uh, you've seen her wrestle. Now you'll get to see her box, and like and she did not. She's like, what's that mean? What's that? She's like, she was like, I don't know what that is. Her dad, her uh, husband had to like explain huh. it to her. The the uh, and where was she from? Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee? Yeah, yeah. So she's like, it was just such a funny joke. Uh, she's like, what's box? What's that mean? Huh. And she, she really shared that. Uh, she just admitted. She's like, yeah, I was real naive. I did not know. Uh, well, speaking Lingo. of naive yeah. and country situations, uh, mm. my my folks didn't drink. I mean, mm -hmm. I was shocked in high school when I found out my mother liked a daiquiri every now and then, mm. and uh, asked her about that. She said, "Oh, I've never, never really. None of our, you know, they grew up on farms and they were yeah. hardworking people." Right. And uh, she said, "I remember uh, when your dad and I first started dating. We went to one of our uh, college gatherings, and someone asked your dad." Uh, she said, they, uh, Chuck, would you like any cold duck? 
And he said, oh, no, thanks. We ate before we came here. <laughs> so she said, that's when I knew I was dealing with a guy that didn't really didn't, drink didn't much. Didn't really do, yeah, yeah. My, uh, my dad told me a story of uh, you know, a, 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 a great Aunt Maggie on my, on my Goodman side of the family. And just like the sweetest old lady, uh, old lady, the sweetest lady. And so she like never drank, was just like total never, never drink, I think, in her life or whatever. Just real straight, straight edge. And this was, she was probably in her 80s or something. That they, they, she went on a airplane flight somewhere with somebody from the family. And, you know, and, and uh, I think someone next to her ordered and said, oh, I'll have a margarita or like that. And they looked at Aunt Maggie. She said, yeah, I'll have one of those too, like that. And as soon as the, the stewardess <laughs> walked away, the, 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 whoever my family was, it was like, Aunt Maggie, you know those got alcohol in it, don't you? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. She just like had a conniption, like tracking down. She was like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't you bring me one of those. Don't, don't bring me, don't bring me a margarita. My church will hear about that and I'll, I'll be in trouble. So, you know, it's such a funny uh, story. <laughs> But uh, let's do another song. All right. Give us another one. On the food and family subject. All right. Uh, This is called Catfish Monday. In A. In A. All right. I'll take the head. You take it. Sunday, every Sunday, we'd go 
what the Lord had to say. Family food and that's, fun that's, on Sunday. That's what you, you can't get that better now. Oh, those are on YouTube if you wanted to. Yeah, you can find those. those. You out. got those out there. Uh, either Chad Watson or Chad Watson and Pam Lowe, L O E. Mm. Got to do that in a diner. And then went next door to the used record store and sang I Miss the Hiss. So it's, it's, it's amazing how much free music there is up there. It's heartbreaking. It is. Let's do some of yours. Let's do one. Get your mandolin and okay. we'll, we'll, do, um, we'll do I Know the One You Like. Or one of my songs I know oh, you like. Oh, man. Tell them what's happening with that tune. Well, um, so, uh, well, this song called Rosina Crab, I wrote this, I think, the day after Bill Monroe died. I was at school in the library and uh, just kind of hit me, and all of a sudden I just heard pretty much the whole song in my head. Because that time I didn't even, I didn't play an instrument at that time. But I heard, heard the whole song in my head oh, wow. pretty much just kind of immediately. just kind of felt like it just came to me. And then, and then uh, you need a pick. Uh, yeah. you, know, you know, this right now, it's on Bluegrass Radio uh, with Christian Davis, who's a multi-dove gospel winner and wow. sang bass with uh, Daly and Vincent for several years. Now he's doing his solo bluegrass thing. And uh, they came, him and his manager came back to me about a year ago wanting to record Rosina Cry for his debut solo album. And I was like, sure, of course. And, uh, and he said, we're going to be recording it at Rhonda Benson's studio. And uh, I was like, that's great. And then uh, as of like a few months later, as a surprise, he like sent me videos uh, of them in the studio. And it was Christian with Rhonda Vincent. And they were both sitting there singing Rosina Cry. So here I am, like, really tickled that the queen of bluegrass, Rhonda Vincent, sure. just hearing her sing my song... Uh, was great, and then uh, he told me a week or two later, like surprise, that well, Rhonda decided to record it as a duet with Christian for his album. So I was just thrilled that that there's going to be a version out there of, of Rhonda Vincent and Christian Davis uh, singing this song that I wrote when I was 14 or 15 years old, and uh, it's like the first song I ever ever really wrote. I wrote one other song around the same time that was when my grandmother had passed. I wrote it about my grandmother and my uncle who'd passed not too far from each other. Uh, and I, I wrote that song and I wrote Rosina Cry all about the same time. Those were the very first songs I started hearing in my head. And so just, it's really great to hear. But here's a, here's a really funny thing. Foolishly, I don't know, I don't know why, because I should have known better. I, I should have known better. But at the time, um, for some reason, I thought Rosine was pronounced Rosine. And so when I first wrote the song, it was called Rosine, Rosine, Where Do You Hide? And then, and I wrote it that way. And then, um, because I don't know why in the world I thought it was pronounced wrong that way. But um, I was playing it for some friends of mine. We were going down to Nashville one time. And and he was like, I love that song. He's like, but you know it's Rosine, right? And as soon as he (laughs) said that, I was like, oh. And I felt like an idiot. And I was like, well, crap. How am I going to... I've ruined this song now that I heard in my head. Ruined it. And then like a few months later, I come up with the idea. It was like, well, because I needed it to rhyme with sure. the I sound. And and I, and then that's when it kind of like, oh, Rosine, I cry. 
And I was like, now it's even better. Oh, I was like, it well, makes I'll more say. sense now because I'm crying out for uh, Rosine. And I was like, well, that just sure. wonderfully happened that way. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't know at the time that I was writing it wrong because then it well, worked that out proves- later. When I, when I adjusted it later, it worked out way better. When I was in Nashville, I spent about eight years in Nashville, and there's a couple of one-liners that are really great nuggets of wisdom for songwriters. Mm -hmm. I like the saying, uh, great songs are not written, they're rewritten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. Work on it. Boy, that's beautiful. I love that story. Yeah, I I very much feel that way. I I think when I was young, I was a little bit hard-headed and finish the song be never like, heard gonna, of that happening right right and I'd be like well I'm going to write the song and I'm not going to touch it or whatever or it's done or whatever luckily, it's a masterpiece when it shows up man right when I got older I started realizing like no and I've heard some <laughs> other people say like a song is almost some songs are never finished yeah because you might change a word to fit the times or you might change a word later that it means more different things to you as you're singing it or whatever or you might just with time, you might discover that a line was better. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a song matures as so, you do. Yeah. So sometimes I'll write a song and I'll have it for a few months or a year or whatever until until I I might hear something that works better. I'm like, oh, now it's done. Or, you know, whatever. Like that. Something goes on. But this one is, uh, you have Rosine I Cry, and you're going to play this beautiful Gibson man. What, what year is yeah. this man you got here? 1917. Not, wow. Yeah, the Gibson. So. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, I just adore it. I appreciate the Pastor Chuck down the street saw me leaving the house. Uh, Pam and I lived in the same neighborhood since about 2002. And uh, the preacher came down. He said, I see you leaving almost every day with several guitars and Mm -hmm. that upright bass. Do you play mandolin? I said, yeah, I do. I love the mandolin. And he said, well, do do you have a good one? I said, well, I've got a workhorse. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, come down to the house. I want you to see something." Hmm. And he said, "This has been under our bed. Uh, he moved. He uh, was born in the '60s yeah. and lived in that house down the street from us his whole life." And he said, "We've had this under the bed for a number of years. Goodness. It was my aunt Betty's, and well, she's moved on, and it was her husband's, and he left way before she did. Would you just play a little bit for us?" So I picked it up and played it, and he and his wife said, "Well, why don't you just borrow it?" and play it on your gigs and you know I said well I'll bring you a, a CD of anybody mm-hmm. I ever use it on yeah so you know they, they probably got about 15 or 20 CDs that this beautiful it's piece of wood beautiful uh, has shown up on it's a great one so that's the history between this 100 uh, year old mandolin and well, me well good but let's put it proud on proud to play a Bill Monroe song yeah, right. a Bill Monroe tribute <laughs> to inspired Bill Monroe inspired song alright I'll see if I can Get out these high lonesome not uh, high lonesome notes this early in the morning. All right. There's a place in western Kentucky I know that is hidden way back in the trees. Here there's filled with a high lonesome sound. That'll make you fall down on your knees Rosine, I cry Where do you hide? Way back in old Kentucky When the sun goes down On that small, small town You can see that big blue moon shine That's not the right verse. There's a little community 
church standing there set on the foundation of faith you can feel him there every sunday morning at the altar is where it takes place When the sun goes down on that small, small town, you can see that big blue moonshine. Play it now. Playing some songs with us. See you Keep down the, the road. Music alive. All right, we'll do it. <laughs> 